All right. What's up, everybody? This is uh, Pedro Moore with Black Acquisitions Entrepreneurs. Today we have uh, a new guest. Um, her name is Jessica Vincent, and she just bought her uh, her laundromat business, I believe, this past uh, March, you said. Okay. And so right in the middle of COVID, and I believe she's going to share a little bit about that. Um, but uh, um, so for those that are new, um, haven't heard of Black Acquisition Entrepreneurs, it's a, it's a free Facebook group uh, um, where you can join. It's to help promote wealth creation through investments and acquisitions and, and businesses. It's a, a gap that I feel that um, it's basically helped to, to, to close that wealth gap in the black and brown community. It's a place where shared resources, we can have conversations about building wealth, share topics, strategies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, all to kind of help move the needle and building wealth in the black and brown community. So without further ado, um, thank you, uh, Jessica, for, for uh, hopping on the line with us to, to share your story. Um, do you mind just giving us a little intro uh, about yourself? Tell us so, a little about yourself. Um, thank you very much, actually, first and foremost, for having me. I really appreciate it. I feel very honored. Um, <laughs> um, so a little bit about myself. I've worked in corporate America, specifically in the fashion industry, for about 15 years now, a little bit more than that. Um, and a few years ago, maybe like two years ago, it, I realized like, like that's not going to be my be, be all end all. I really, I thought that it was, and you know, you go to school, you go to college, that's how your parents teach you. And it just dawned on me, like, I can't, I don't think I can do this at 50 years old. Like, what am I, how am I going to support myself and my family just based on the nature of the industry? And then also the, um, the growth trajectory within the company I was at. And then also like, I loved it, but it wasn't, it wasn't loving me back the way I was loving it. So. Um, I've just real estate occurred to me. It's something that my dad has done for a lot of years. Um, and there was an opportunity nearby my neighborhood where I live in real estate to purchase an investment property. And I didn't end up purchasing that, although I love that property. I watch it every, every day that I drive by. I can't wait for it to go back on the market. Um, it's, it was the igniter for me to start taking essentially all my cash assets and and putting them into real estate so i've went and purchased um myself and my husband together we own um eight rental properties a couple of them are back here on my whiteboard in the background um throughout west philly and delaware county and one of those eight properties uh houses a uh coin operated laundromat which is the laundry lounge on 65th and lebanon come check us out Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, so for, for that particular deal, how, how did you actually come across that one? So I've done, I'm a big um, consumer of all podcasts that are real estate uh, related, specifically Bigger Pockets. I love Bigger Pockets. I recommend them highly to anybody who's interested in getting started. Um, and they, you know, you listen to all the podcasts talking about deal finding and deal machine and networking and wholesalers. And so I really investigated all those avenues and none of that works for me. So I ended up just relying on the MLS. So the MLS is where I've gotten all, all of my deals. So I have, I did flip two properties, um, between last year and this year. Mm -hmm. So all of those, and so it's about 10 total and nine of the 10 all came from the MLS. One of them kind of came from the MLS, but it was a deal that, that I went to go see it and the owner, she wasn't, it was not good. 
but she happened to mention that she had something else that wasn't on the market and ended up being a foreclosure. Um, speaking of bigger pockets, if I ever make it there to talk about this still ever, I will definitely talk about that. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. But um, so yeah, so the MLS is, is where I found all the properties that I own currently. And so in the process of, you know, you select your um, property profile and you look on Redfin. Redfin is what I swear by. And you get the little alerts. And I remember the day that the laundromat property showed up in my feed. And I'm I'm all into multifamily, so two units mm -hmm. and higher. That's what I, that's where I feel like I could make the most, the best returns. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people believe in single family rentals. Can't figure that out yet in terms of like how to make it as profitable. So anyway, um, the laundromat itself actually has two other apartments, so it's technically a duplex, and the laundromat is the, is the ground floor. Mm -hmm. So that's why it came up in my feed, and I thought, ha, that's crazy. I can't run a laundromat. That is, that is crazy. And I, you know, I was like looking at it. Well, maybe, maybe I, can I? Can I? Like, what? Why not? And I just read it and read more, you know, about the property. Um, called the agent right away. That's like sort of my like, um, you know, uh, pro tip is to certain deals you want to go straight to the listing agent. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's usually your best bet for securing a deal. Um, you mean as what? Why is that? So a couple reasons. One is if it's a property where there's a lot of competition, you know, the deal, if the listing agent has to shift through a bunch of deals, he's going to resonate more to the ones that he knows he has direct contact with, you know, mm -hmm. the buyer and he knows their history and feels more confident about them. That's one. And then two, they get all the commission, right? They don't have to split the commission. So as an investor, you're just trying to make the best deal. I don't care who gets the deal. I just, or, you know, who gets the commission. I just want to be able to get the best deal for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's sort of, so it's sort of like a two, two pronged approach. And then also usually listing agents of properties that are ideal for investment purposes have access to other properties that are ideal for investment purposes. So if you can find one of those agents, listing agents, and then make them your realtor, your go to realtor, that's great. Hasn't worked out great for me, but for mm -hmm. some, you know, it does, but that has proven to work, you know, in the portfolio that I have right now. And so I just reached out to him right away, put in an offer. He didn't accept my offer because I forget why he was, he was uncertain about my, um, my lending situation, which I frankly had not really invested a whole lot into, or I had not uh, explored how to finance a laundromat, okay. a commercial property. I had the work, the real estate side. So I just figured, let me put this offer in and I'll figure that other stuff later. So, and you know, he, he was rightful to be um, a little bit hesitant about whether or not I could close a deal. Mm -hmm. But while, you know, I, my offer didn't get accepted, I kept working on it and I kept reaching out to other lenders and just figuring out what would I have to do to finance a property like this? Um, what sort of, um, you know, what would it cost? What, what does the LTV structure look like? So I just educated myself. And then lo and behold, about three, four weeks later, the first buyer fell through um, because he got scared about the age of the machines. It's a little bit, the machines are a little bit older okay. in the laundry. It's not brand new, shiny. Like you may have heard of the Laundry Cafe. They're, they're yes. about like North and West Philly. Beautiful. I actually went and took the first one um, the other day. Those are great. Those are also million dollar plus investments. So, you know, I stay in my lane. 
laundry lounge. We do you right? We do you tight? Get the laundry done. It's not say the dar, but it gets it done. So, you know, and I'm okay with that. And 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 also we're priced accordingly because you know those um, new flashy laundromats are going to cost you a little bit. So, um, so yeah, first deal fell through. So when that happened, the listing agent he had my info. He knew how passionate I was about. Um, uh, purchasing this property. I just, something just felt like, this is crazy. I've never done, I've never heard of anybody doing it, but I mean, I did my research and I think it could work. I think mm-hmm. I can, you know, buy this and then, and then operate a laundromat. Awesome. 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 That's a, a great testament too, of just sticking with things. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a sermon earlier today from TD Jakes and he was just making a point of how there are, and I know this is not directly related to, to a deal structure, but it does help more of a mental thing where um, there's people in life where they, it's almost like the shiny object sh- syndrome where they see something very catchy and they say, oh, no, let me go do this. And, and, and then two, two days later, let me go do this. Let me go do that. Yeah. And they never give that thing enough time to incubate, to yeah. really see it, see it all the way through. So right. it's awesome that the fact that you, because a lot of people would just probably gave up yeah. from the first no of anything. Yeah, I just, I'm, I've been very blessed in my life that the things that mean a lot to me that, I, that I'm attached to, that I'm really driven by, I, stay, I stick with them. And I just, I, I'm like a dog with a bone, I don't let go. Because I feel like eventually if I stick with it for long enough, I'll get what I want. And it's yeah. really worked out and it paid off in this, in this instance. And that's what I tell a lot of um, realtors, you know, when I'm, you know, deal finding and, and trying to negotiate. I tell them, like, listen, here's my offer. I'm here. Um, I'm not going anywhere. That's also what's nice about being an investor versus, like, buying, you know, property you're going to live in. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit more time sensitive, usually. So, you, you know, when you're an investor, you can be like, listen, if the deal's right, you know, uh, just hold on to my info. I'll stick with it. So going back to that, just before you started to record, I was... Um, talking a little bit about my best deal ever that was a short sale that took about seven months to close mm-hmm. and I stuck with it I stuck with it and the agent would check in with me like every month or so when we hadn't heard back from the bank and I was like nope I'm here I'm ready and <laughs> it turned out to be well worth it awesome 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 um one question when you were saying that you gave an off offer to the uh the lending agent um uh, uh, uh the the realtor how did you come to that number? What, what was part of your due diligence process to figure all that out? Especially it being now you're, you're kind of blending two worlds of real estate. Now you're kind of looking at a business, which of course, as you know, is, is different than real estate. So how did you come to that? That's a great question. And again, being a, being a newbie in a game, you can really go wrong. Um, but that's kind of what's nice. So there's, there's a couple, there's usually two main schools of thought when it comes to investing. A lot of people believe that you like invest for cash flow only, which means you leverage as little or not at all as possible. And then other people believe in you can maximize your cash flow by obtaining more assets. So therefore you must leverage so you can get more out. So you get to that cash flow number through volume and not just through one or two deals. Mm-hmm. I happen to believe in the leverage philosophy for that exact reason. Like I would prefer to have 10 properties financed that can yield me $5,000 total a month versus two or three properties that I own outright. It yeah. may be the cash flow is the same, but 
I don't know. That's just weird to me. It's just like you're you're putting all this money in one spot and it's not being as productive as it could be. Correct. So, okay. So I say that to say when you are um, in the lending sort of business and relying on lenders, they help to keep you honest. If you can find good ones, most of them aren't going to fund or finance a deal that's not a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was sort of key. So in running my numbers, um, I came up with, you know, I have my own calculator that I use that I built just off of just an Excel spreadsheet with um, different formulas. Um, you know, a couple of them are cash on cash, mm-hmm. return, return on investment, mm-hmm. um, monthly cash flow. So that one's that's key. When I very first started uh, to get into this, I said to myself, every property that I buy, I want it to cash flow $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just picked that number. It feels like a good yeah, number. Yeah. And so yeah. far, it's worked. I have, like, now that I, you know, have so many stabilized and I'm able to look back, you know, some are under, some are over, but mm-hmm. average is right around there. Um, so this deal in particular, when I ran all the numbers, um, luckily this, the seller, so the guy who I purchased the property from, very meticulous, kept very good numbers. Obviously, he could have been making it all up, definitely. But he did have some supporting documentation, so that made me feel good. Like, he, we even went down to the um, bank receipts. He had bank receipts for all of his deposits. So if anyone knows much about laundromats, some people are wary okay, about on, them yeah. because they're cash businesses, right? Yeah. How do you verify yeah. income? And he actually had the deposit receipts from every single um deposit he had made he'd only owned the property about uh seven uh, about a year and a half oh or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so and so that was one of the reasons why he actually didn't accept my offer initially is because i i wanted all of that i wanted six months which really should have been a year but i thought let me try to you know um not scare him off completely i asked for six months of um income verification with the laundromat six months worth of um utility bills because for laundromat that's how you verify so yeah you mm-hmm. can tell me you're depositing this money in the bank but if your water bill doesn't support what you're saying your income is then you know something is off right. um so yeah i just asked for you know all of you know his paperwork and he didn't want to provide that because the the guy who he originally accepted their offer he didn't ask for any of that and then uh, and then i think maybe his offer was right where mine was or maybe a little bit um more so that ended up showing that that buyer was not that intelligent and therefore ended up backing out anyway so that's a lesson to those yeah out there when you think you're getting over and you think you're and i i can actually i've learned that tenant in a couple different areas of investing and especially in working with contractors it's never really a deal pay people what what is a rightful price for their property for their work because eventually that will come back and you're gonna you're gonna pay what they say, um, pay me now or pay me later, you still gonna pay me. So yes. and that, that that's generally how the, the universe works. So Yes, yes. Yeah, so I just I ran the numbers, utility bills, it's pretty simple. Income versus expenses, right? That's mm-hmm. any really any business, but specifically in real estate. So I verified the income, verified the expenses, um, and that cash flow number was nice. It was real nice. <laughs> um, and kind of like I had expressed to you in our first phone call. Um, the fact that the building had apartments attached yeah. to it. So yeah. real estate attached. This was not a, a shopping center laundromat, which by the way, I don't figure out, I can't figure out how the people make those profitable either, um, just because of the... the we what, looked at one. It, it, the, the, uh, it, was, it was a brand new one. I mean, pristine card, everything, but the profits were thin, 
um, the the the. I, I mean, I, I would have loved to have done it, but the profits within the the um, uh, the lease on that bad boy uh, was hefty. Um, uh, just alone, I mean, would it was probably like the second biggest expense. Say it again. And you, you have to pay that whether someone washes or not. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the part I can't figure out. If no one comes in and washes a load of clothes for a month, the laundry lounge still pays its mortgage. Yeah. So because it's covered 100% by the apartments that are attached to it. So based off of that, that's what made me be like a dog without a dog. I was like, I'm, I have to get like, this is so, this is, this is elementary. Like this is, this is a, a no brainer. Yes, yes. And and I like the fact you mentioned something about um, uh, the cash flow number, because I'm actually doing a little course just to help our community begin the steps of, of, of thinking about the process of buying a business. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's there's gazillion formulas out there in the world, but you, you already mentioned a couple of good ones. Of course, the cash flow, cash on cash. Um, if you're an investor, that's one of the most important because you want to know how much cash are you actually getting back. But the other thing is, too, those, those, all those formulas are great. But one ingredient that you want to make right. sure you look at is what is the actual check size that's coming back to you on a monthly basis? That's something because that's something to consider because um, I think sometimes people get hung up on the formulas. Formulas are great. You do need those. Mm-hmm. But also just look at the cash flow. Does it meet your criteria? Right. You know, does it meet your personal criteria of having this income come in? Right. Um, and not the cash flow of the the gross cash flow, but the net that that's actually coming back to you yeah. after everything it is. It surprises me how many people mistake that. And I just yes. it's so bizarre. It's like when you get if you work a W two job and you get your paycheck, you don't focus on that number at the top, do you? Exactly, yeah. No! <laughs> yeah. You focus on after they then took out FICA, took out Social Security, exactly. then exactly. that's the number that you're basing your bills on. So investments are no different. Yeah, absolutely. This is a sidebar, but still to, to, related to your point you just made. Um, I uh, sometimes get upset when I see um, everybody, you know, especially our people, we, we get excited when we see these social media influencers saying, yeah, we got, I got a seven-figure business six-figure business and all this and that and 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 then even in the seven-figure business so let's just say a million dollars they rolling around in uh uh, uh ferraris and i mean i've done a lot of deals I've, i know what million dollar businesses can afford yeah i'm like if you're doing right. five million dollars in gross revenue uh because also they're not because when they say seven figures they're not saying figures seven figures they're getting right That's seven figures for the business gross. and and i know that business, unless if that's the case, they're doing a poor job of managing their money. Right. Um, but it, it, but it, it, it kind of carries the wrong image, yeah. and it makes people think that they're actually have it have the, they're actually uh, earning the seven figure number. Right. Where no, they might only be getting netting maybe ten uh, percent of gross revenue or something like that. That's that's taken. Okay. Don't get me wrong, that's still great, but it isn't what they paint right. it to be. Yep. You know, and so so we, we just have to understand and look to your point, the net, what's the take home? Um, that's the most important thing because that's what well really that's what that would matter. That's what matters. Yep. Um I wanted to ask you about the the loaning structure, the financing. Yeah. Um wh- where where who who did you go to your traditional bank 
or was it some alternative financing? Did you have to do some personal guarantees or with some collaterals or were you in creative things that you had to do to kind of get the deal done? Great question. Great question. And actually there's a piece of the financing part. I don't think that I went over with you in our presentation. So this will be some new information, I think. Um, So to finance it. Okay. So let me start. My other, so the the investment properties I um, had, I had taken out a home equity loan on my primary residence. And so was uh, using that as sort of seed money to put mm-hmm. down the down payments on the re- the rehabs and, and the rental properties. That unfortunately would not work for the laundromat because mm-hmm. um, a lot of banks do not lend on mixed use property. And that's okay. what this is. Any property that has commercial space and res- residential combined is considered mixed use. It's not commercial, it's not residential, it's both of them. So I had, so then I set out to find out, all right, well, what banks I would, the, all the, the hard money guys that I had been working with, I'd asked them for referrals. They recommended me to a couple people. So I think I went through maybe about four or five different banks, um, just to give the audience some examples in case people are interested. Um, Philadelphia Credit Union, they mm-hmm. finance uh, mixed use banks, uh, mixed use properties, which is who I went to for, for the laundromat. Um, who else? Uh, Valley Green. Um, who else? So many people turned me down <laughs> because oh, Customers Bank, they, they do it. Um, but a, a lot of people turned me down because I was new. I'd mm-hmm. never owned a, a laundromat before. Mm-hmm. had no, I was a, really a brand new property owner uh, or an investor for anything, let alone mm-hmm. a laundromat. So there were some lenders that were skeptical, which that's why I say, you know, financing property through banks is is a really good safety net because they're kind of like a barometer to just say like, should you really be doing this? And then they give you the right sort of checkpoints. And it's like, if you can get through that and then also obviously pay the mortgage and be, you know, a good manager of finances, then that means you probably have a pretty good deal on your hand. Now, I don't mean SBA loans because what I, from my research in SBA loans, they're like so easy to get and like everybody get them and lots of people fail with SBA loans. So not to say don't ever do it. I'm just saying you have to be very, very careful and it doesn't seem like the same guardrails are there for SBA loans. Interesting. I yeah, I, I didn't go through an SBA loan for this property. So what I did, the because, okay, so found a bank that would do it, but the LTV that they were willing to loan on this property was so low. Like I was used to like 75, 80%. Oh, sorry. Univest. That's another um, local bank that was considering um, financing it, but they turned me down. Um, But they would do it if I had a little bit more experience. More experience. Okay. Um, So they, the bank that I found, so Philadelphia Credit Union would only do 65% LTV. So this is a $250,000 purchase. You can do the math. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, what am I getting $100,000? That's a lot. This this is so good. And like, it could really, you know, make, it it can make my family a lot of money. It could be great legacy because that's something that's important to me. I have two children, Mm -hmm. one on the way. Mm-hmm. and well, congratulations I, thank you and to be a child of a millionaire my dad's a millionaire mm-hmm. I grew up as not having to worry about money if anything were to happen I always knew I could go to my dad I didn't but mm-hmm. <laughs> I just knew that it was there and 
it's and I want my kids to feel like that I don't want my kids to feel like they can go to their grandfather for anything I want them to like know like their parents you know have that same you know sort of safety net for them and so that's a part of why I got into investing to begin with so okay so I said all right where am I going to find a hundred thousand dollars let's think about this so did some research and Mm -hmm. I found out there's something called and this is the part I didn't tell you it's called um uh you can do an IRA rollover as a business startup the short uh abbreviation for it is robs robs okay could be a little bit like you know on the nose like robs i don't know should i really be doing this (laughs) (laughs) but that that's the term um as defined by the irs it is a plan that is sort of controversial because there's a lot of uh, regulation and paperwork that you have to follow up on okay. after you establish a Rob's account. Okay. Um, but as long as you stay compliant, you also have to pay um, a company to help keep you com- to uh, keep you within compliance. So similar to a CPA, they are not CPAs; they are a custodian. Okay, um, that's the word I was. I, there's a word I couldn't think of it, and that that was it. Yeah. So what happens is you take an IRA or for uh, can it be four hundred one k? Yes, I believe you can roll a 401k, but okay. it's more common to do it with an IRA. And obviously, as you know, you cannot cash that out. You can't really even borrow against our IRAs or 401ks to purchase property, but you can roll over the funds into a rollover for business startup, which is what a ROBS is. And so as long as it's a business, you can put money into an account, purchase the business through that account, and essentially that it's sort of moving your IRA into a business. Yeah. So, yes. And I'm glad you share that too, because um, I, I, I always want to do my best to let our people know the various options of capital, because you, we, we hear all, we all know all the statistics, lack of funding, lack of, lack of everything. Right. right. And, and so that just means that um, we just have to be exposed to various ways. There's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of different ways. And I'm glad you just mentioned that. And um, I don't have a lot of direct experience in it, but from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm, I'm, and I'm just going to take my time to explain this so that way anyone that's watched, they can uh, understand how, how it all works. But basically, if you already have a, for a retirement fund, uh, I'm assuming a 401k or IR, uh, IRA, mm-hmm. you take that, that and put this into this custodian account that these guys, whoever manages for you. Correct. And you do have to pay them a fee to manage yeah. it for you. Yep. And and you take, so it's, cause basically a, a IRA, a retirement account, all that really is, is, is capital in the stock market. That, and, that you've not paid taxes on. Yes, 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 That's exactly. Key. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and so, and stock market generates, you know, whatever term people say between seven to 10%. But anyway, so, so basically what you're doing theoretically is taking the cash, that retirement money from one investment vehicle mm-hmm. and putting it into another investment vehicle. Correct. And that investment vehicle, like in your case, is a business that you actually manage. Correct. Now, as a, as a sales pitch for, for doing these is that, at least the way I look at it, is that I have more confidence in myself than the stock market. Correct. So I will, Correct. I will try to take a leap of faith and bet on myself to yield a better return for my yeah. retirement uh, than the stock market. And then the other thing is, correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that, uh, so let's just say it's a hundred grand and, and that you put, you put into the, um, 
the uh, uh, the custodian rob account. account. Yeah, the rob mm -hmm. account. Um, and you you pay that whenever you whenever you get your dividends, that has to go back into that rob account. Is that correct, or can you so, take that out personally? And no. So what out? happens is you have to form a corporation. Okay. Right. It has to be an an actual uh, C corp, not okay. an S corp. It has to be specifically a C corp. And so those funds, so all the funds, all the profit goes into the corporation or the corporation's bank account. Mm -hmm. So what what ends up happening is the it, now now the next step is okay. Well, then where does taxes come into play? Like this is not just free money that you can just sort Correct. of spend freely, um, because you then you have the business has to pay taxes on that money. Mm -hmm. So then what you want to do is make sure you create enough expenses to offset that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's another benefit to even getting into this business and owning a property like this is because it becomes, I don't want to say a tax shelter. That doesn't sound too good. I'm going to just say a tax conduit, right? Yeah. So, you know, you can sort of, you know, car, car payment, um, you know, utility bills for that can be shared by the business and by yourself personally. Um, really um, business travel expenses. Mm -hmm. um, so any, just think of, you know, normal business, uh, normal expenses that you might incur on a daily basis, but that are related to your business can yeah. all flow through yeah. that corporation because it is your own company. Correct. So it helps, especially when you're dealing with, you know, investment property and, and rental income, it helps to have something, have the expenses to, to offset that. Awesome, awesome. Now, so you know, corporations pay a lower tax rate than we do, so. Yes, 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 yes. So that's 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 some good stuff, and I'm hoping that helps shed some light for some for some individuals um, that you know are looking for capital. You know, because sometimes it is available. We just have to think more creatively and redo our research. You said that more than once, and I'm glad you said that. You have to do research. Yeah. You know, um, just because at the surface it may be a no or you may not find something, just keep digging. Digging. You'll, you can eventually find a way to make something happen. Also, let me talk about something which you probably already know, but let's talk about it together for the benefit of our listeners. And that is other communities that may not be African-American share resources freely. And that's something that African-Americans should get more accustomed to doing. Yeah. And by sharing resources, I mean your best friend you grew up with, y'all was online together in college, y'all, you know, ace boom coon. She got a bunch of money sitting in her IRA account that she could lend to you oh, to yeah, start yeah, investing yeah. on, yeah. you know, and yeah. she can make uh, an interest return. Y'all can, there's all kinds of ways you can form a partnership. That is something that's already a part of other communities, sort of uh, their, their pool of resources, relatives, uncles, parents, brothers, cousins that may have, you know, cash either in, you know, retirement funds or just free liquid or in the stock market or whatever, and that they might be willing to lend, you know, for a fee to you if you, if they trust you and if you all have mm -hmm. a good relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to do better as a African-American community to build and foster relationships like that with our, with our, you know, close-knit communities. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, because it, that's really how a lot of wealth is built um, in other communities. And so that's something I think if we get more comfortable talking about money, understanding risk, what's safe and what's not, like just by anyone asking you to invest doesn't make it a bad or a risky thing. Ask questions, as you just said, 
do your research. And if this, if this relative of yours, if this good friend of yours can prove a cogent plan that, you know, is backed and founded by, you know, good research and, and good numbers and good facts, why not invest and maybe start yeah. slow and build? That's just yeah. something that I don't think exists a lot, you know, in our community. It, um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. And, 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 and um, I think that um, we missed a bar because there are some wealthier families, maybe yeah. even in your own backyard. Yeah. They may not be super rich, but they, they manage their resources very, very well. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I had a conversation with somebody else, and I think that we have to learn two, two parts. So one side is us, well, 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 the person who's raising money. They have to, you know, you, the uncle that you're trying to get money from, you want to make sure you had a good pre-existing relationship with that uncle. Correct, you know? correct. So, 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 so today, you know, you might want to send him a Christmas gift. <laughs> get him on your radar today yep. to start building that relationship. Yep. But, um, but we, on, on the entrepreneurial side, do better at relationship building, do better at packaging and, and doing your own due diligence on the deal. Correct. You know, even prior, because you, like you, you mentioned earlier, you, you want to make sure it looks good for you. Yeah. And if it looks good for you, um, it well, will look good for someone else. Right. You know? Um, and, and, and so, do you know, so, so get good at packaging. And one little tip, too, I learned this from investing in uh, tech startups, because uh, uh, the, the syndicate model where, because um, one of our pain points from raising family and friends, let's just say they want $100,000. Um, they'll go to the uncle and say, Hey, I need a hundred thousand dollars. And that person might say no. Yeah. Um, and so then everything falls apart. One little small thing that can help close, close that round. Instead of just saying, going to that one individual asks for a hundred K because that one uncle, he may not have a hundred K, but he has 25. Right. But because, and it's just all psychological, but because you asked for a hundred K, um, he's thinking you need a hundred K. He's like, man, I don't, I don't have it. You have it. But if you say I'm raising a total of 100K, yeah. minimum investment is five, yeah. he may come in and say, okay, I, 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 you put yeah. me down for 20, put me or down for 25. A homeboy at the VFW hall, he might got five or 15 too. Yeah, exactly. Five, right? Because exactly. birds of a feather flock together. Exactly. So we just have to get more accustomed to thinking that way. And then also packaging, as you said. So maybe the approach to, to your uncle is not, I need $100,000. Hey, uncle, would you like to get a 25% return on the money that you already have without doing too much? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. even better, do you know anybody who would like to make this type of return? And just kind of speak, talk people through, learn how to break the deal down, make it palatable. Make, yeah. it, it's not rocket science. It's not. It's just having the information, knowing how to communicate with others, and knowing how to you, you know pull a deal together, and that's something that absolutely, you know, absolutely. Be, it needs to just be more of our vernacular. I think it's like taboo. Like, oh, she here she go asking for money, you know, begging for money. Black folks love it. Oh, she begging for money. No, I'm trying to, you know. It's expected in other cultures. Yeah, it's expected. You know, it's 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 similar to, you know. Uh, Thanksgiving, you everybody's sitting down for a dinner. You know, it's it's expected to to keep because especially if you're a deal person, like like I could tell you're a deal person. I'm a deal person. I'm starting um, to get there. I wasn't always, but I'm I'm learning. Well, no, no, I think you are. I mean, you you have. I think you said what total uh, eight properties are right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, you you already passed getting there. <laughs> you're already there. Um. It's so 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 when you're a deal person, you you're gonna have that's 
that's your job now. So you're going to always be asking for money. Always. Because that's part of the. Yeah, that's part of the job to get fine money and put it together. And then the other side of that table is the the family that does have some money. And and, and, um, where, and this is where I think the learning curve we have in our community where we have to, the the entrepreneurism money has to be patient, but -hmm. also educate Mm -hmm. properly and be okay with, they may ask a whole bunch of questions. Let them ask every single question because they want to get comfortable. And, but they have to be open to looking at different opportunities right. and, um, and, and, and just cause at least considering it. Yeah, you know, be open-minded. And then here, here's another layer that will help in the conversations like this it is understanding and putting in the proper perspective of what risk is. Yes. How to define risk, right? Yeah. A lot of people, oh, if I give you you know, first of all, you don't ever give anybody your last anything, but you know, and that's another, that's another sort of issue. You, you have some people who will ask them, Oh, all I got is 25,000. Oh, you can trust me. I'll be good. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Even if someone offers yeah. you your last, yeah. you don't ever take their last. You only want what they can give and not miss. And if yeah. they don't get it back, as yes. you know, that that'd be fine. That's another yeah. thing. But you know, understanding, you know, that if you loan someone X amount of money, what what and what you know how to weigh how to put that risk into perspective as opposed to going to a job every day and praying that they keep you hired mm-hmm. or hoping or assuming or expecting that they keep you hired or that they don't cut your hours or, you know we don't think of that as a risk in our community in our community. as long as we have a job we have somewhere to go every day we, we we're safe job security that's not a thing so that's like something that i wish to raise my children understanding job security doesn't exist um that's a word two those two words need to disappear i agree (laughs) they they brainwashed they got us right they brainwashed us on job security that's not a real thing anymore just give me 12 hours of your day every day yeah and i'll make sure you always have money how much money is you know versus how how much money i'm gonna give you versus how much i'm getting we're not gonna talk about that but exactly. you can come here every day for 12 hours and maybe I'll keep you hired if, if, if the stock market doesn't take a downturn, which technically has nothing to do with my business receipts, you yeah. know, or if my, not, not my profit dips, but my profit projections, if my profit projections dip, I might have to let you go. Maybe we'll see how it goes. You yeah. know what I mean? Just work, work for me for 30 years and, and, and maybe I'll pay you in, unless one of those two things happen, you know, like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's risky. It but is. we're not trained, we're not conditioned as a community to think of risk in that way. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I love that. I love that. Um, one of my last questions I have um, is is kind of like after you've done all that, you close the deal, you have it now. So because now it's going on, is it six months? Six months. Um, uh, what are we in December? So nine months. Nine months. Nine months. Wow, I was way off. Um, so nine months. So, so what, what was your game plan to kind of managing that, 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 that laundromat business and kind of adding value and all that type of stuff? So, um, I, like I said, I benefited a lot from the previous owner. He was, he had a very good system. Good. There was definitely some room for improvement in terms of his management style of the business overall, like, especially mm-hmm. from the customer, um, service aspect, but that, that wasn't his, 
his his zhuzh. He was a, his investor and he had it in his mind. It was actually the first laundromat he'd ever purchased. And he just kind of came across it after working through some other ideas. Like he thought maybe he would buy a, a car wash and then he just sort of left on a laundromat. So he wasn't into the business side of it. Whereas I, I'm, but I'm thankful for the infrastructure that he laid down and perfected mm -hmm. and that I could come in and layer on top of that a little bit more sort of customer focus. So I, I looked at that and said, okay, let me try to build in these areas. First of all, let me get new staff. Um, the staff that existed there was of a certain ilk and the customers that were going there were like, they went along with it, but a lot of them, it wasn't, you know, their ideal, you know, people that they would want to be in a laundromat, spend a lot of time with. So that's a big change that I made. And then honestly, that's a, another beauty of the coin operated laundromat um, business model is that it doesn't have to be attended by a staff 24 hours a day or the entire time that it's open. Um, so I actually had to make some cutbacks and some reductions there just because it was a little bit of time wasted, right? In terms of you had a person in a place of business for a, some hours and not necessarily doing mm -hmm. a lot, like certainly not adding any value to the customers, which is, you know, the first thing you want to do if you're going to pay somebody, they were essentially unlocking the door and cleaning the place occasionally. Um, and so I, I sort of got that expense under control. Um, so I made sure, so that was key is just making sure that I had a, the right staff that was attractive to help bring more customers in or maybe a better quality of customer. Um, and then, um, modernizing things a little bit, making it a little bit more, uh, inviting and, mm -hmm. and fresh and kind of hip and, you know, somewhere cool that people wanted to be. So I changed the name to the laundry lounge, painted, replaced all the broken machines. There were about three machines that when I bought the property, I knew that um, these machines were out of order. So I wanted to fix that right away. Um, did, and you, then, did you, when you raised, I'm sorry, when you raised, when you got the financing, did you include that in your purchase or you kind of just paid? So the, I did not include it in my purchase, but what I found out again, the laundromat business, the suppliers who support that business are always looking to provide financing um, for laundromat equipment, vending machines and, and washing machines. Um, so I was able to get a separate equipment um, leasing company okay. to, to do like a short, like a five-year loan for me. And I was able to, you know, put in a couple of new machines. And so in that, doing those couple things that I mentioned helps to make the day-to-day -day management a lot simpler, sim sim more simple mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as an as a, as a owner like myself, who's not there every day on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis. Yeah. Um, I made sure to um, put into place a lot of sort of digital and automation um, processes. So for example, all my uh, employees, they clock in, they use the app. I get a notification on my app if they don't show up or clock in for whatever reason. There were already um, cameras in the laundromat, so I'm able to keep an eye on, um, you know, what's going on or take a peek in just to see if, you know, something's not the way it should be periodically throughout the day. So I do that. Um, and yeah, so I think you, you just, you run a clean shop, you have good people that when, they're work, when there is someone working, they're, they're taking care of the place and they're 
you know, they're well respected by the customers. And then like I said, having good processes and good automation. And so that helps me to be able to run it on a regular basis. So it doesn't really take a lot of time. It's funny, I end up actually working two jobs at once. Um, now that I own, especially with COVID happening, because for my professional job, you know, I just need a laptop to do my yeah. job. I could be, I could be on the moon and still do my job professionally. They don't know nothing. Yeah. I'm, you know, getting my work done. Um, so I'm usually there doing that job. And then I just kind of hang out in the laundromat a couple hours a day. Cause I feel like it's not, it's too, you know, killing two birds with a stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually like during the not so busy hours. So again, I'm not there working as much as I am just sort of being present in case people do have questions. Yeah. So it kind of works out, you know, and that's why I say COVID is great because if not for, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say that because I know there are people, I don't mean to discount those that have lost their lives, but from a economic aspect, you know, COVID has worked out really well um, for this particular endeavor because otherwise I would be trapped to a desk down yeah. at the Navy Yard. And so now I'm either at home or I'm at a laundromat running two businesses when I don't have my kids with me, then that's the third business. <laughs> them. So Yeah. And, and, um, um, definitely understand what you're saying because one of, one of my, but the first video I did, um, with, with this interview and individuals that bought, bought businesses is a good friend of mine, uh, Reggie, uh, I know from college, University of Delaware. Mm-hmm. And, um, the business that he bought was, um, a um pet grooming pet grooming business oh yeah and um and he he bought it i think he i think it was 2019 so mm-hmm. and then of course covid hit and of course as everybody was everybody was freaking out come march right because we, no one knowing what was going to happen yeah. Yeah. Um, but he actually said that his business did Ooh. well yeah because people were at home with their dogs like oh my dog need a haircut or yeah. you no know, and yeah. did you know it was mobile or it was just a pet uh uh, uh it, it was a brick and mortar i believe it was it was a brick and mortar okay. so so, yeah, so so then people needed somewhere to go yeah, <laughs> yeah. so then yeah. They so it, yeah exactly and I, um I, I don't they could have had a mobile component too but i believe it definitely yeah. was a brick and mortar yeah piece to it yeah. um so so you know he probably just brought people just brought their pets there um get them clean and fit, uh, whatever and if, else. If I could rift in sort of take a, a slight rift into like business, the business environment and what mm-hmm. COVID has done to it and just like sort of downturns in general is what I've learned through all this is that business generally doesn't go away. It doesn't evaporate in terms of the macro economy. What it does is it redistributes. So you have to learn how to pivot and recapitulate either your business or your interests or whatever into wherever the market is going. And the market does that from time to time, as we all know, for different reasons. This year happened to be for COVID. Sometimes it's new technology that requires, you know, that capitulation. Exactly. Um, and I don't think that that's bad. And, but we've been trained in, in this country, right, that things have to stay the way that they are forever and ever. Or, or you know, people got to always be in the coal, coal mine, mine and coal. No, when a new technology comes, you pivot, you shift. And as long as you keep that in mind as, as an investor, as a property owner, as a business owner, you'll always do well. Yeah, I, I love the fact you said that because um, the investor mindset is definitely important. Um, uh, it's definitely important. Um, it's definitely important to always have that investor mindset 
um, whatever you do in the business, even if you build a business from the ground up, you, you want to take a step back, have that macro perspective, looking at the industry, understanding what's happening, mm-hmm. um, because as you know, it can definitely impact your business where you have to, you, you always want to try to be ahead. Yeah. Uh, so that way you won't have a, the blockbuster effect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where you <laughs> miss the window. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and now you're non-existent. Now the only story you have left is a museum almost. Right. right. Um, and, 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 and that happens too many times. As a matter of fact, I, I, um, I even say this about a lot of our own small businesses is that uh, one thing I learned in dealing with other entrepreneurs deal uh, uh, businesses, um, there's this mindset of the owner operator where, where they become most of them are, are are going to be owner operator but but they get fixated on the 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 task or the yeah, um the operations the, yes the operations and they forget to have the, to kind of step back yeah. to look at the how how are how are you said this earlier uh i'm, I'm trying to recall the way you said it but i think it was perfect um how things were shifted because consumers still want certain things but they may want it differently yeah right 100%. um Whoever, I had to get something from J.C. Penney's the other day, which, you know, that's, that's a dinosaur. That's, that's probably going to be dying pretty soon. But, um, but whoever would have thought um, that you can drive up to pick up something at J.C. Penney's? Would have ever thought. Yeah, whoever, whoever would have thought that. And, and, and another thing, too, COVID, I keep telling people, COVID did not do anything other than accelerate trends that are already yeah. happening. Yes, and you'll find that the great majority of the businesses that shuttered or closed, they were on the brink anyway. Yes. They were about to close anyway. A lot of people didn't pay their rent because of COVID. You wasn't about to pay your rent anyway. Yeah. COVID just was a convenient. You know what I mean? So it really yeah. exposed a lot of chinks in the armor for business, number one. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing because you need to know where your weaknesses are so that you can oh, absolutely. Like For the restaurants, aside from the super fancy, you know, the five-star ones, but just your regular drive-up uh, restaurant, if you went out during COVID, Something was wrong. Something was wrong with your pro, with your business plan. Either I don't know what you're paying your staff, what kind of staff. You, like, there's no yeah, reason. Maybe too much debt or something. Something. Yeah. Something was wrong, and it wasn't just COVID. COVID just raised your skirt. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a- absolutely. absolutely. I feel very strongly about that because I yeah. just feel yeah. like let's get to the root of what this is. It's not just COVID. There's other things, but. You know. There's there's un- other underlying things that um, we cannot see because we don't we don't have your financials. Yeah, but, but yeah. there could be something else there that kind of could have helped tip you. Because I know even in deal making, sometimes, um, you know, like like you said this uh, about the buyer who fell through, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, before you said it, I was already thinking. I was like, well, how do you want to how you want to try to get financing, and you ain't collecting no data. Yes, you know, you know that's that's impossible. No due diligence. Yeah, I mean, unless they're just super rich, you can just write checks, you know, freely. Sure. If so, I mean, you know, I want to know you because I got some stuff you can just write checks freely in. But, um, but I'm like, but even, but even if you're rich and you can write checks freely, you want to look at something. You should look at something. Yeah, you want to look at something, unless you know. So, so, um, so, so my point of bringing that up is that that there are, especially in a small business world, uh, 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 when I say businesses under 10 million, um, 
you know, especially if you have, if you have there's a, a one deal, one guy, um, I think, I think he's over, I'm looking at it right now, it's a commercial cleaning company, but I think he might be over leveraged because he was trying to give me tips on how to do the deal. And I'm like, like, I'm like, sorry, that's impossible. Um, based off his valuation. Yeah. Uh, the numbers, high, high level numbers he shared with me. I'm like, I'm thinking, like, sir, that's, that's impossible. There's no way. One, even if I was dumb enough to believe that. Yeah. Um, the lender, because you said this earlier, the lender kind of helped back to the lender would have said, uh, Pedro, uh, we're not giving you no loan at all because you, you don't got just common sense. Yeah, you don't have common sense here. <laughs> so, and I feel like this guy, I don't, I don't have his. Um, we're kind of in a song and dance situation right now where I'm trying to get his financials, but um, I'm curious to see them because I got a feeling that he over leveraged a little bit on this business. And I got to tell you, as an investor, that's one of the things I worry about most, especially, like I said, is being in someone who prefers leverage over not. Um, and I hear the term a lot, and I, I even ask myself, am I over leveraged? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I the general rule I try to stick by is 75%. Well, I don't stick by it. The banks require that I stick by it. And I actually think that it's great um, because when I look down the line and when I think about the worst, if the worst were to happen, I'm like, well, I got 25% in all of in all of the properties and in all of these deals. So that's sort of my cushion, but um, it's, it's easy to do. And, and also when you think about a business that operates on receipts, you know, so when you're dealing with multi, you know, tens of thousands a month and there are people who take out kind of like payday loans, you know, for businesses though. Oh yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll factor out those receipts. And I think like, wow, it's so easy. I see how people get into business debt and, and that's the thing I wanted to mention with the Robs, the rollover as a business startup. That's another one of the drawbacks that a lot of people talk about is that it's one way to quickly drain your re retirement account if you're not good with money, if you're not wise. Because think about it, most businesses fail in how long? You know that statistic. Yeah. So imagine if you took all your entire retirement and put it into a business that closed a year later. Not great. Goes, poof. But, gone. Right. Whereas had you left it with Fidelity, that probably would not have happened. So, you know, you gotta just weigh the risk and Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you, you said that because I think that um any investor has to have that mindset of I wanna see use the word I don't think this word is the best word, but it's the only word I can think of, just context. You know, there's there's no there's no right or wrong answer. I mean there are some really bad answers, but but um, in terms of a, a, a right or wrong, you, you, every situation is different. Every deal is going to be different. Um, you know, you're, everyone's going to have a different pers personal financial statement. So you have to look at that all within a reason yeah. and add a little layer of margin in there for, for risk. Like you said, um, not to say that you don't believe that this deal won't make you money, uh, but that doesn't mean you got to empty the, your entire life savings into right. this one thing. Right. You know, diversification. Um, say it again. Diversification. Oh, That's absolutely. In our in our community, we don't really talk about like you can have some money in the stock market. You can have some money yeah. under your mattress. You can have some money in the bank. You can ha have some money invested with a friend. Like it's better to have your resources spread out that way than in one spot. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that is definitely all the questions I have, and I don't want to keep you, because uh, 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 it's already past 10 o'clock, okay. keep you um, any longer, but I do want for you to kind of shout out, give us 
the, 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 lo the name of the business, uh, location, I don't know if you have a website or any social media or anything like that. Um, I have uh, just an Instagram account, which I'm working on. I need to add some more. Speaking of owner operating, I'm the one operating my Instagram account and I'm not doing that great at it because uh, weeks go by. And I'm like, oh, I haven't posted anything. But like the weeks when I do post or when I purchase ads, I, I see an uptick in business. So I got to get better at doing that. But it's uh, the Laundry Lounge uh, Express is my handle on um, Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, we are located at 6550 Lebanon Avenue. That's in Overbrook, Philadelphia. So if any of your listeners are ever in the area, please encourage them to stop by. We, um, we actually uh, are just starting to offer drop, drop off and pick up wash and fold service. Um, so that's sort of unique for the area. Um, some, some laundromats are doing that, but not your black owned boutique laundromat. Okay. Okay. Again, I'm all about increasing the level of customer service because I, I like people to feel like their services or their business is appreciated and, and oh, not understand So absolutely. Um, just come by and see us. If nothing else, just come check us out. We're like, yeah. how many black owned laundromats are there? Not that many. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, I don't really know too many. I think there is, I did find out that there is one in Delaware, but again, that's just one of many. Yeah, there's there's some out there. There's actually a black owned um, laundry detergent brand. It's called True True Detergent. I think I is and, there is there um container purple. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yes. And they're on Instagram, so you probably have seen this. Okay. So they, I reached out to one of their distributors, and they kind of you know let me know about a couple others. So. Oh, so there's more than just them. Um, a couple other laundromats that are. Oh, oh, oh okay. Because they, they serve a wide area, like Pennsylvania, and I think some in Delaware and New Jersey. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're I haven't products in. I need to, I just don't have any space. So they only sell like the bigger stuff, that, you know, like for home. They don't do the coin vended size, which is all that I can sell right now. But I see. I see. Interesting. Okay. Well, at least it shows that they have still, even for them, they have opportunity to grow. Yeah. Which yep. I'm, I'm sure they probably would cost them money to kind of shrink it because they got a good new packaging and all that. But yeah. it shows that they have opportunity to grow. So that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Jessica, um, for hopping on here. Um, um, I hope this was helpful for a lot of, of the viewers um, and listeners because I do have a, a podcast called Earn Interest that I also plug this in too. Right. Um, so that way people can listen to it as they're driving. Um, thank you so much. Um, and you enjoy the rest of your night, all right? All right. Thank you. No problem. You can, you can stay on. I'm just going to stop the recording. <laughs>